You're listening to Errol Parker and Clancy Overall, editors of the Batuta Advocate on Desert Rock FM. Welcome back to the Batuta Advocate radio show. You're joined by myself, Clancy Overall, and Wendell Hussey. Today we're doing something a bit different. I guess you could call this Batuta's How I Built This. You know, we kind of have a very, very vast array of guests on this podcast. Recently we've had Holmes of Court, the puppeteer of the Teal Movement. Doesn't like you saying that, Clancy. No. He doesn't uh, like that. Had Dylan Alcott. I think next week we're probably going to lock in Julian Assange's lawyer, Jen Robinson. She's good to go. She's in town uh, lobbying Albanese. Mm. So as you can see, there's a vast spread and, uh, you know, all different people from iconic careers, iconic names. Influential and interesting, Yeah, I would say. And, and present in, you mm. know, and visible. And today's guest is exactly that. Oscar McMahon, thank you for joining us. Thank you very much for having me here, being the meat in this proverbial podcasty sandwich. Yeah, no, we, um, you know, we know you without knowing you. Um, a lot of Australians do. You're sitting on the back seat of the car, you know, you're sitting at the front bar, you're uh, in the fridge at home. Young yeah, Henry's. Back. Young Henry's. It's an iconic brand. And definitely probably the first, when we start talking about you know craft beer or microbrewing, it's the first beer that everyone's dad knows, which is huge. I think everyone's dad is actually our true target market. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know, as, as much as we'd like to think yeah. that we're like, Edgy inner city, like yeah. uber woke, all that sort of this. Yeah. It's like, like, really, we're just selling beer, dad. Yeah. Dads and, have a lot of money. And dads <laughs> pledge allegiance to a beer they like, a lifelong allegiance. They're like, oh, that's all right. What's this called? Once you've got that, you've got them. Mm. Uh, it's the kind of beer that can go on a footy trip as well. I yeah. feel like that's the first kind of craft beer you'll see on a footy bus trip, yeah. you know, that'll make that, um, that, that inroad transition. in there, which, yeah. you know. So, what is the Zenith? What is the Zenith? Is it. Aeroplanes being served on an aeroplane? I think it is being served pre aeroplane. Mm-hmm. The airport beer is one of my favourite beers. Yep. Along with one of the cheapest too. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> just and just to uh, alert the listeners <laughs> That's not our margin. <laughs> Trust me. That's Macquarie Bank, baby. <laughs> yeah, Love yeah. a happy hour beer at the airport. Yeah, yeah, 14 bucks. Oh, great. <laughs> not touching me up at all. <laughs> um, yeah, look, airport beers, stadium beers. Yeah. I reckon I'm going to a show at the Enmore tonight mm-hmm. and uh, been able to see one of my favourite bands, Nathaniel Rateliff and the Night Sweats, with a new towner in my hand. Yep. That's a pretty mm-hmm. good beer for me as yep. well. I think also it is... It's a really nice thing that we're now in a sort of a marketplace where you can pretty much go any anywhere into any good pub mm-hmm. and you can get a pretty good offering of mm-hmm. independent craft beer. Yeah. You know, going back 11 years when we opened, that was not the case. No. We were having conversations with publicans and they were asking, so what is craft beer? Yeah. Like we were having to tell them what craft mm. beer was, why it might be important to some of their customers, and then why independent craft beer, how that was different, how yeah. that might be. Um, and so it's a really interesting, really interesting thing to have changed. And you know, back then you have to really, you had to really seek out if you're a craft beer nut. You, yeah, used, yeah. you used to have to go and find a spot. Yeah. Whereas now it's just like you just walk into a pub and just yeah. ask what they've got. Yeah. You know? For sure. Um, and we'll get back to the, the origin story in a second, but I do want to ask, those days, right, when it was kind of like everyone was scrambling, 
the famous Batuta bit, it was only ever really in Cairns, so we didn't really have to worry too much about that one tap in the pub. But I remember that. You know, or a lot of these pubs were licensed to a big one. You've got Carlton United, you got Lion Nathan, and the publicans kind of contracted, right? And there's one tap. Yeah. And you've got all your mates from different breweries and all these, and you're all fighting for that one tap. Yep. That sounded like a frustrating era for you guys. It's still the same. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like that, and that's why so many independents get bought up is so that the big guys they maintain a portfolio which is attractive to the changing consumer. Yeah, so it is very much still the same for you guys. Fucking exactly the same. (laughs) I think the percentage may have shifted, like yeah, yeah, one or two percent, but it's still, you know, independent craft beer is still ten percent of the market. Right. So. You know, I'm no mathematician, but yeah. that's not the big bit. No, mm. no. <laughs> yeah, no. they get snaffled up a lot. Of, you see a lot of them coming through, and they get snaffled up pretty yeah, quickly. Yeah. Well, the best is the ones, and I'm not going to say any names because you know a lot of people worked hard on them. But the beers that are clearly don't have the same story as you and have been invented overnight, but are made to look like uh, they might have come from a bunch of you know independents. Like you see them, they've got iconic names and yeah, iconic. It, people yeah. associated with them oh, <laughs> getting close now anyway <laughs> um, the market has uh, the market has changed but I, I guess you guys are on the front line of that can you tell us the story you were in a band yep you were pulling beers yep where did you guys all cross paths and uh, and where, where did you kind of slip into the mold and, and and tell us the story because it's been a meteoric rise it's been 11 years mm. but um, you know lots happened Overnight success. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and, and in the scheme of things, when you look at the Coopers family who've just been banging the drum for generations, mm. 11 years isn't very long in That's the scheme the truth. of things. Yeah. Well, I, I guess the funny thing was um, playing in a band, working in a pub, basically because I was playing in a band and, mm. you know, you don't make any money from that. So mm. you had to pay your way some way. And sort of through those two things – both working in hospitality, started getting pretty interested in beers, mm-hmm. and through touring, mm-hmm. started going different places. Yeah, I remember. So you got to know the publicans. Yeah, got yeah. to know publicans. Got to try different beers. I still remember the first time I had a little creatures in mm-hmm. a pub in Melbourne, mm-hmm. and me and the drummer, who's also my best mate, Robbie, mm-hmm. we were like, "Oh, what's that little cherub thing?" He's like, "Oh, you got to give this a try." I remember having a sip of that pint, going, "What the fuck is that?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, like, and just yeah. that was a real light yeah. bulb mm-hmm. moment. For me. Um, and then our band, we got accepted to South by Southwest in Austin in 2009. Yeah. So went over and did an American tour, which is great. Drunk heaps of Sierra Nevada and a bunch of American craft beers. Came back and was just like, wow, this is cool. Yeah. yeah. Around that time, I met Richard, who was the, um, he's the other co-founder for Young Henry's. He was living around the corner from the pub I was working in, yeah. in Glebe. And so we started talking about music. He, he was an ex-musician as well. Started talking about beers and Sort of, you know, going back to that comment before about how, you know, this is, this like, we've been operational for 11 years. So what I'm telling you is around 2009, 2010. Yeah. So this is the run-up. This is the run-up, yeah. yeah. You couldn't go and just find good craft beer, no. whether it was independent or not, in a, in a pub. Yeah. And so we started a beer appreciation club. Yeah, Where right. once a month in the back room of the Roxbury Hotel, which is the pub I was working in, we would bring in five different beers from either around Australia or around the world 
and people would pay 20 bucks. You'd come in and you'd get to try five different beers and there was like food served. Yeah. And we had this thing, it was like word of mouth only. Yep. No Instagram, no Facebook, nothing nah, like that. Before all that, yeah. Yep. So Modern day book club. Totally. <laughs> and all of a sudden, like, you know, moving forward, after about six months, we had 120 members. Yep. And we were like, oh, hang on. Mm-hmm. People were giving a fuck about this. Yep. And then one night after beer club, we're flogged. We've <laughs> tried so many different yeah, interesting yeah, yeah. beers. Yeah. Twelve's moustache. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Rich is just like, oh, how cool would it be to make a beer company that is in touch with the people drinking it mm-hmm. like beer club? It's like, yeah, let's do that. So I called him the next day. I was like, oh, you know what we were talking about last night? How serious are you? And so anyway, we met up and we started talking through this idea and then we started heading down this road. And of, he'd, he'd been a brewer before? Yeah, he'd been a brewer. He was with a company called Barron's yep. and he had just exited Barron's. Right. That's a story that he can tell. Yeah. So, so at this point, you're guys in a pub. Like, you is, know. We are just essentially just two guys in yeah. a pub. Employment adjacent. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> but if you think about it, like, both of us come from a musical background, mm-hmm. failed musical background. Thank you very much. Even uh, you know, both of us are like love eating in restaurants, going to good pubs, mm. experiencing hospitality. And we started building this company to be in line with our values. Mm-hmm. We wanted it to be a sustainable company. We mm-hmm. wanted it to have a rock and roll soundtrack. We yep. wanted to have black T-shirts. We, like, we wanted it to be open-minded and we wanted it to reflect our values yep. and the values of the people that we thought are going to give a shit about mm-hmm. craft beer. Mm-hmm. Then we found a site in Newtown that was just like, hey, this is the perfect place for it. I went to Newtown High. I went to Enmore Design Center, TAFE. Proper inner west kid. Yeah. Right. I, like, like so much. Like, that place has been so formative for me in my yeah. life. Albo was at your school graduation, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah that's, you're deep in, deep in that. Like, you don't meet many kids who grew up there, you know. It's, it's quite often young people move there for well, university. or they, and, and do you know what? I, I'm, I'm the same. I was – we lived in Forestville. Yeah. But my parents allowed me and my sister to choose which high school we went to, and I was – Into music. <laughs> I was into music. I was sort of interested in drama. Yeah, right. And um, ended up doing an audition and got in for drama. Yeah, and, that would have been a bus trip down from yeah, Forestville. It was, it was from the hour, hour and a half. Yeah. <laughs> yeah from the fer- from Ferretville, exactly. <laughs> hour and a half each way, you know. Like, but I, I still remember that first day um, as like, uh, f- like I was twelve when I started year seven, walking down King Street that first morning, just yeah. been like <sighs> seeing goths. Yeah, man, <laughs> punks, and like you're like it was fucking wild. Yeah, yeah, and for sure. Like twelve year old little yeah. kid from Forestville was like mind blown, <laughs> yeah, yeah. dude. It was great. So you, you, you're feeling that, and this is obviously, you know, the inner west has had many iterations. We could go back to the, you know, the Newtown particularly. We go back to the Whitlam's. Before that, we could go back to, like, you know, the hardcore Jets organized crime era of Newtown. Yeah. Um, and I, I feel you're, ch- you're channeling all of those different, you know, eras and layers of the area. But it is interesting that Young Henry's, I guess you could argue, was formed – before social media. So it wasn't like you were curated into this current brand. You know, when you look at things that have become mm. popular in the last 10 years or the last five years, there's been so much influence around. You can pick and choose and you can, you know, you can create your thing based on what, what everyone's thinking. But you guys basically had an idea and you had a, a style and you had a, you know, you had a, a plan before all of that. Um, yeah, just, I- Instagram, happened, to, Instagram mm. happened mm. once we were in business. Yeah. So, 
We didn't start with a marketing plan. No. We got onto Facebook um, as a way of just saying, hey, there's this coming up or about mm-hmm. to release this beer. It Pop wasn't ups, a, festivals. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. It, there, was, there was no marketing strategy. Yeah. We were just doing gut feel things. Yeah. And because we had these relationships in the music scene, mm-hmm. we had some friends in bands. And so we're like, oh, do you know what? Let's make a, let's make a beer with this band and release it before a tour or yeah. whatever, you know. And so all of a sudden, like, that is a marketing campaign. Yeah. But we weren't looking at it yeah. as a marketing campaign. Just trying to drag beers around the place. <laughs> totally. <laughs> yeah. it's like, and also, one of our early things was if you go to a show at the Opera House, mm-hmm. if you buy a ticket to see a band or if you go to the opening of an art gallery, mm-hmm. the per- sort of person that thinks about those offerings as being valuable, mm. surely those types of people would see a handmade beer mm. as being valuable. Yeah. But you couldn't get, you couldn't access good beer at any of those things. No. So we we just made it, like, that was our mindset. We're like, we're going to take good beer to places where good things are happening. Yeah, right. That right. was just our, like, real simple thing. So I was like, yeah, we spoke to the Rule Brothers and we got on tap at the Annandale. Yep. Like, that was a big moment for us. Yep. Like, yes, independent beer, independent bands, yep. as if that's not a conversation. Yep. And that just became our focus. I do remember, you know, you would see that at, at even the smallest events. You guys must have been sending cartons of beer to, you know, to art school shows. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. We uh, it's 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 surprising we didn't go under yeah. <laughs> the amount of beer that was getting yeah. out the door. Some kid walks in with Doc Martens on, nineteen year old. Hey, we're doing something. Can we have beer? Yeah, pretty yes. much, man. <laughs> uh, look, we, there was a really funny thing. Someone did a. a uh, a post on one of the platforms years ago and they said, you don't need to buy beer anymore. Start a band, Young Henry's will give it to you for free. <laughs> and I was like, do you know what? That's awesome. That's awesome. If someone could actually be fucking bothered to get three people or four people into a room, lug your gear upstairs yeah. and you know, write some songs. Some crap music. Like, <laughs> make some terrible music just so that we'll give you some beer. Fuck, I'll pay that. You a couple of cases. <laughs> you know, do you know, it's cheaper just to buy it. <laughs> I wanted to ask about the origin of the name. I um, there's feel rumors. Like there's, there's many myths. There is oh. a story that has just entered the zeitgeist, and I've heard it repeated back to me by numerous people. And I want to know: is it a bit of a fishing tale, or is the origin story what people say it is? Okay. What is it? Okay, can you you tell me what you've heard first? <laughs> I've heard that it was uh, named after a young Henry. A young child who basically facilitated work getting done because people didn't get too pissed when they were working away. Oh, do you know what? That's pretty bloody close. Is that is pretty bloody close. (laughs) So in the early days, me and Richard would catch up and work on this business plan. For the listeners, there were were inverted commas used on that business plan. (laughs) Um, It was a Spyrax notebook with a bunch of ramblings and drawings. (laughs) Yeah, 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 basically. Um, But. Uh, Richard had left Barons and was a sort of stay-at-home dad at the time and so quite often would bring his one-year-old Henry to the meetings. Right. And one time, we didn't have a name for it, and one time I said something like, oh, we should call it Young Henry's because he's the third shareholder. All right. And and so we just wrote down Young Henry's TBC on the front of that notebook and we just we were like yeah that'll do for now that's the holding that's the holding title 
and we just never came up with anything better. Oh, right. So it was just <laughs> drop the TBC and just made it. Young yeah, he's, exactly. And you know, it, it's funny. Like looking back, kind of like I said, we didn't have this go-to-market strategy. We didn't have a marketing plan. We mm. didn't have a sales plan. We didn't even have a sales person when yeah. we started. So to have named it not out of a focus group or anything yeah. like that for it just to have been a throwaway comment yeah. and just like oh yeah that'll do yeah I mean and that's how most bands get named right totally like it's the first thing that comes up and then no one really can think of anything else and then they kind of get attached to it and that's the one right yeah that's that's exactly yeah. right yeah. and um, I think it's a it's a really nice thing that around that time we were also writing our set of values yeah. and our set of values is something that we read to every single person that joins the company. Mm-hmm. Like when, when, when we finish up here, I'm actually going to, to do it with a new staff member. Yeah, right. um, and it's really nice that 11 years on, that has been a continuum, this what, value what, what set. What was the thinking when you wrote that? Because it sounds like you didn't have a marketing strategy, you didn't have a business plan, but you, like you were certain on getting down the values. Yeah. Yeah, where yeah. did that come from? Is it? We wanted to, we just wanted to, try and capture what we wanted the company to be Mm -hmm. like we wanted it to be fun exciting but humble and you know like Mm. to have a work ethic and you know all of this and so we wrote down these sort of rambling notes Mm. in that spirax notebook and when we were hiring our first salesperson stocker who's still with the business he's a shareholder now as well he's a legend yeah, our business partner Dan. He was like, "Look, we all we all know what this is about, but yeah. how do we tell that to someone else?" And um, so we, was Red, like, oh yeah, we've got these things. <laughs> Read the right act to Stocker. <laughs> yeah, and, and and it was this really nice thing that uh, last year we actually got someone to come in. And we we brought fourteen of our different crew from all different departments in. We sat down over lunch, put the values on the table. We said, "Okay, everyone, this is the moment." Mm-hmm call bullshit on whatever you want to call bullshit on yeah. what doesn't fit what is outdated yeah. like and so we let everyone just have at it mm-hmm. like does this feel real like mm-hmm. what's disingenuous <laughs> what hasn't aged you yeah. know and what was really nice is that what came out of that is essentially reworded and slightly edited yeah. values that are exactly the same as yeah. they were yeah, 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 yeah. did any new ones get added or any get booted um, do you know I what I got rid of boys will be boys <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the whole what goes on tour stays on tour no um, we we brought we actually brought in a a little bit about balance yep. about living balanced lifestyles yep. and how it's okay to that's be, a very post pandemic way of thinking too isn't it yeah and also yeah. like people in our company have got a lot of access to a lot of free alcohol mm. <laughs> um and so yep. you know take the piss I, I just don't take the your, piss I stumbled across your christmas party one night i think <laughs> and there was i don't know 10 20 young henry sales reps in a pub there in redford i was like what have i walked in everyone's got a beard they're all they're all like you know pretty big guys too because you're, you're carrying beer around hulking you know there was there was definitely an era where where that was the case and it's uh, it's really nice we actually had our that's another uh, part of balance right like, yeah yeah, yeah it, exactly um, we had our christmas party last week because you know hospital you can't have yeah. christmas party at christmas no. and it's really really nice that my mum is the gardener at young henry's right. and so um and her feedback after this year's Chris, christmas party was she's like it's a lot less blokey a yeah. lot more women yeah. and a lot more 
she was like, it's just, it is a lot more balanced. It's yeah. really nice. Mm. And um, that's been a real concerted part of, part of, especially the last five years, just yeah. going, like, you, you don't get gender balance and you don't attract different diverse people unless mm. you do a lot of work to make it an attractive place for them yeah. to want to work. Yeah, for sure. And and the founders always be the founders. I look at that in the, in, the, in like a band, right? The DMAs, mm. um, they start, they've got the three blokes that you see on stage. But as the, as the time goes on, you know, the wives and girlfriends are on tour. There's a kid there. And then now they've got the female violinists. And, and you know, they've kind of – because you can't be the yeah. rock stars forever, can you? Like you've got, to, uh, you've got to kind of cast a wider net and you've got to bring in a few circuit breakers and a few different ideas mainly. Like that's a big one. I reckon that that's spot on, right? Yeah. Like, you, you know, our communities, our country, when it works well, mm. is a balance of different voices. Mm-hmm. And so if you want your business or your band to do well, then the more voices and the more perspectives that you're actually, you know, gaining, like really for a company to do well, you have to actively and you need to reflect Mm. the community that you want to be a part of. And you've got to be a card carrying member of that community. The Liberal Party doesn't think so. Well, (laughs) mate, look at Budweiser. That's a really interesting thing that's happening in America right now because of the, um, just that kind of, the shooting cans, for yeah. The shoot, that may they, not they, be aware they, of it. They've got this like the pride thing, and they cover the cans in the rainbow. Some people might think maybe their base isn't that invested in you know Pride Month, but there's people in the business that think, well, we'll at least give this a crack. You know what I mean? Let's and you know they're facing the backlash and that. Yeah, it, it, it's a different also, climate in America, yeah. and and it sounds like Budweiser didn't have a list of values when they started. <laughs> they just wanted to sell beer to people who've been working in coal mines. But I, I think it goes back to the balance thing. I also like the fact that. We can almost compare every stage of uh, Young Henry's to an era of a band. You know, you start playing stadiums eventually. <laughs> That's exactly it. <laughs> start out in the small pubs, move up. Like, hey, we're at the Enmore now. Like, like, City Football Stadium. Yeah. That we we actually so much of how we operate is band like mm-hmm. in the way that like when you're in a band, you have to make creative decisions in a group Mm -hmm. you all have to work in different like basically there are different departments you know there's the guitar department there's the bass department (laughs) you know like like, and you all need to be working cohesively Mm. towards a set goal you've got to check your ego you know a good song is not because hey you wrote that great song and we will all play it perfectly how you want it it's like no i'm the bass player i'm Mm. gonna put in my but you know like that's when a song really Mm you know, takes off. Do that again. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. What was that? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and so, you know, you, uh, also when you're playing in a band, it's very rare that you get the opportunity to make decisions based around financial gain. Yeah. And if you are creating a brand or you are operating a brand, you need to make decisions not based on financial gain. Yeah. you got to f- check. Mm-hmm. you got to check your spreadsheets. you got to make sure that there is a financial return. But that gut feel... That's what a brand is. Mm-hmm. A brand is something that people look at and they have a gut feel yep. reaction to. Mm-hmm. Whether they like it, whether they don't like it, do I buy into this or do I not? And it's a really interesting thing what you're saying about Budweiser. Yeah. You know, they've got this huge platform and they're talking to probably the hardest to reach. Yeah. Some of the hardest to reach, yeah. you know, people when we are talking about you know Rust Belt America. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. We're, and we're, we're talking about like, you know, equality. Yeah. They're the people who aren't listening. Yeah. 
what a fucking brave move it is yeah, yeah, yeah. to actually say, hey, we're going to make a stand as a company and yeah. put this into the hands of people who are probably going to be not ready for that. Yep. Like, mm. a, a couple of companies did that during Pride, and I un, I do understand that there is, um, you know, rainbow washing yeah, yeah, and all yeah. of that. But then there is also that other side of what I loved is that in Pride Month, walking around Sydney, mm. every single ad, every single shop, yeah. it was Pride related. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, you think about how that must make a young gay or yeah. trans person feel. Or one of the their... old codgers who remembers walking up those streets mm. and getting bashed, you know what I mean? Like, 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That actually shows societal shift. And, mm. you know, so there is, there is a... I think a positive side to that as well. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it, it, it is a bit different. <laughs> Young Henry's are, you know, they're not, um, you know, you're not off the ground yet five years ago and you're probably doing a lot of stuff and, and, and um, you know, tipping in and helping out at Pride or, you know, queer parties. And, and then and then all of a sudden you, you look at that and I, I could you could argue you guys were on the front line of that in Australia just because you that was what you were about. And then all of a sudden we've got A and Z. We're like, whoa, okay. Like, this, yeah, Australia and New Zealand Bank are involved. And, yeah. Didn't and that, see you around a few years yeah, ago. And that's, and that's where you can argue the rainbow washing, I guess, when it's yeah. like Rio Tinto presents being gay. <laughs> and not destroying agricultural sites. Um, the Budweiser thing I find curious as well. You're talking about allegiances and yeah. um, a lot of people have allegiances to beer. I do wonder what... Um, proportion of their diehard drinkers are actually going to not drink Budweiser anymore. Hey, like one percent, two percent, maybe Kid Rock because you're shooting yeah, at yeah, it with guns. But yeah. um, I feel like the majority are still going to drink Budweiser, and they've just opened themselves up to a whole new audience. Yeah, I think there's also you know there's a quality versus quantity you know diagram that someone could make, and if you were to to look at Kid Rock's records <laughs> under that same <laughs> microscope, that's not really going to stand up no. either. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is, Kid Rock's as popular as he's ever been. Oh, shooting guns at um, But the, uh, my favorite thing about Kid Rock is that he, like, he had all his like new metal era when it was like it's either Eminem or Kid Rock, right? For young white boys in those towns, and he had his moment. He had his Woodstock '99, and he had all that, and then he came back like late. Naughties with that um, all summer long, yeah, which was a big track. Like it was a good little kind of after. Earworm. Yeah, it's an earworm, but he didn't make a cent on it because he sampled, Cre- uh, yeah, Leonard Skinner a- and Werewolves of London. So he had Sweet Home Alabama and Werewolves of London. So he lost like both fifty percent of that. Like it was, you know, do 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 do, and then all summer long. Oh <laughs> man, that's amazing. It's like so we know that he only does it. Uh, for clout, really, because it's not really about money for uh, Kid Rock there. Well, the good thing is if you only need <laughs> to wear white singlets mm. and, um, you know, like baggy yep. jeans from the 90s, yep. like your cost of living is pretty low. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I'm, sure, I'm sure Pamela Anderson was paying his bills for a few years there. <laughs> yeah, I reckon. Talking about values there, um, one <laughs> yeah, thing sorry, I've seen... From Kid, from <laughs> kid Rock. Oh, we can talk all day about Kid Rock. He into... had a few tracks. <laughs> <laughs> they call me Kid! <laughs> <laughs> I do want to bring it back to values on uh, the algae projects that I've seen you guys doing. Yeah. Which obviously looks very cool and sounds very cool, but I do struggle to wrap my head around it sometimes. Can you give us a little bit of a rundown on how all of that works? Yeah, okay. So 
The simplest way to put it is that for the last five years, we've been partnered with UTS mm. and we are researching and coming up with a commercial proposition mm-hmm. for how you can use microalgae to decarbonize the brewing industry mm-hmm. and reduce methagenesis in cattle. I thought Bob Catter was crazy when he was talking about this. He is. <laughs> He's been banging this drum, the algae drum, uh, for a long time. I've heard, I've heard about this. Yeah. It, it stops the cows from farting. From burping. From burping. It's still all upper gut. Yeah, right. And so carbon comes out of the brewing process, Yep. gets put into making algae. Yep, that's which right. Which releases oxygen and then goes into the cow's diet and stops them burping. Yeah. So there's no algae in the beer. Yeah. The algae is in a separate tank. Would you ever do that? That could be that could be a real uh, crafty beer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll get there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's 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 the greenest beer you'll ever have. Um, so basically, we capture all the CO2 from the brewing process, mm-hmm. feed what you don't use in the brewing process through an algal bioreactor. Mm-hmm. It ingests the CO2, photosynthesizes, turns that into oxygen. Mm. All that photosynthesis creates heaps more algae. Eventually, the algae tank gets to you know critical biomass. We then want to take that algae downstream, feed it to cows, lower their methane emissions. Mm-hmm. And also, when cows aren't creating that extra methane, the energy goes into more meat weight and yep. more milk. Right. So it's actually good for the animal. It's good for the farmer. Yeah, right. So it's going to have this commercial payback for brewers in the way that we're not purchasing CO2 anymore. Yeah. And then it's going to have this awesome payback for farmers, you know, livestock producers, because they get better feed efficiency, hopefully better nutrients. They're lowering their emissions in in an industry which has a really big target for lowering emissions and probably hard to hit. So it's a really amazing thing. Especially in a drought in a drought kind of stricken country. It, That's it, right. Just to have that stuff pulling up on the paddock could, could often help more than anything. It's not raining. There's no grass. That, Super El Nino's back at the end of the year, they reckon. Oh, oh right. good. More rain? Good. No, no, no. Uh, the opposite, El Nino. Oh, okay, so the grass will all burn. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, are we drowning or burning? <laughs> yeah. I can't remember. This I stuff. think we're back to burning at the end oh, of the year, unfortunately. fucking good. Yeah. Um, and, but... There is already an existing relationship between farmers mm. and brewers. Mm-hmm. Tell me. All of our ingredients yep. come from the land, yep. you know, hops, grain. Also, when brewers make beer, they are left with tons and tons of grain where they've basically extracted all the sugars out of. That's called brewer spent grain. Yeah. We donate that to farmers yeah, right. as a cattle feed. Yeah. That happens around the world. So there is already an existing link between brewers and farmers. Is so, that like a chaff? Yeah. It's, yeah. A, it's, it's basically like a um, – it is basically crushed up barley grains. Yeah, right. They've been wet. They've been used. All the sugar's been pulled out of them. So they're, um, they can be used, I think, up to 10% of a cow's diet in times of drought. Mm-hmm. I think the better – the better percentage is around 5%. Yeah, but right. it's a it's a really mm. common uh, feed additive. Yeah. And so what we're sort of trying to work out is, well, hang on. If we can get the brewing industry around the world mm-hmm. to just put in one extra tank yeah. full of algae, and so you've already got this waste product that goes towards livestock, what if you could supercharge that and actually have this positive effect on yeah, the... Yeah. So you're not releasing any CO2 because it's going into the tank? 
we are still in the testing phase, but yeah. we are about to put in, uh, within the next two months, our first commercial prototype, yep. which will stop our brewery releasing CO2. Okay. Will hopefully be the first oxygen-emitting brewery in the world. Really? That's what we're going for. So, so, the, so the plan is it completely you know, limits your CO2, and then downstream, the same thing with the cattle. Yep, that's right. right. So you get these two different industries yep. that get to make a carbon reduction. Right. And I say carbon reduction because CO2, that's carbon dioxide, mm-hmm. and methane is hydrogen and carbon. I hope you're listening, David Little. Proud we should get some of the Nats into Newtown to uh, have a few conversations with these boys because uh, it's all written out here for you. It's all it's already there. They uh, They're going to need to be dealing with some rural representatives pretty soon because it sounds like this is uh, the wheels are in motion yeah it's happening yeah we've um, actually got meat and livestock australia have come on yep. recently as a they don't miss a beat no they don't <laughs> they've come on as a research partner okay. which has actually been really good because a large part of this is how do we engage with the farming and livestock community yep. how mm-hmm. do we you know how do we make this palatable to mm-hmm. them and to their animals and yep. we, we've got so many the research has passed through so many ethical gateways yeah. that in August we're actually going to start doing live feeding trials of lambs. Yeah, right. Basically, um, they're not forced to, f- to yeah. eat it. It's presented. Mm. And, yeah. you know, so it's all about adoption and whether they like it, whether they'll eat it, mm-hmm. and then tracking how much methane they produce. And then we'll head on to steers later in the year. Really? Yeah. It's all happening. Yeah, it's pretty big. So you've got, uh, as you said, the existing relationship with the spent grain. And then you, I guess you're saying that's five percent of that as a, a cow's diet. Yeah. And then what? What are you looking at? This is what you're trying to figure out now: how much algae they can. Yeah. Eat. Exactly. Yeah. I'm trying to get the algae to be the lowest possible dose. Yep. To have the largest possible impact on methane right. creation, because that's where you really get to see, you know, like positive effect. Yep. Microdosing livestock. <laughs> no, that's exactly right. <laughs> Can I ask about those initial conversations? Because you mentioned there the Nats and how they like to use basically inner city people as a punching bag at mm. times. Um, it is a weird mix. It's not something traditionally people would expect. The bearded craft brewers and the bushies out west running livestock. How did those initial meetings come about and what were they like? Was there any kind of... Confusion, or are they just happy to work together? I think that some of the people that we've spoken to from the sector thus far, uh, we, you know, we've gone and done a couple of feedlot visits mm. and had a couple of conversations from people, you know, from Meat and Livestock Australia mm. through a couple of different meat businesses, abattoirs, stuff like that. And I think that they are aware, mm-hmm. they are aware that they need to change their industry's emissions. Mm-hmm. And they don't want to change their industry. Yeah. Mm. So if there is an opportunity for just a feed ad- additive that could, mm. you know, like if you've got a beef producer, you don't want to have to stop producing beef. Mm. And you're not going to be able to convince Australia to all go vegetarian or vegan yeah. in the next 10 years. Yeah. So what are you going to do? Yeah. You need to find something. And, you know, I, I think in a really simple way. If you talk about, you know, communication piece, like how you could lower the methane of your steak mm. by drinking beer. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> hey, where, where do I sign up for yeah. that? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, well, so this is um, this is all happening. This is, wheels are in motion. I'm, um, I'm looking forward to seeing. I'm going to have to come down and check out this tank. Yeah, it's, yeah. Um, it's, it's a really cool thing. And 
what I think is the it's it's kind of nerdy and it's kind of weird, mm. but our like the young Henry's team love it. Mm-hmm. Like it's this big glowing green tank in the brewery. Yeah, yeah, and. It's creating oxygen. Like yeah. that tank that is in our brewery creates more oxygen than a hectare of Australian bushland. Right. Every day. Epic. Yeah. So think about that. We could mm. we could knock down our whole city block mm. where the brewery is situated and plant trees, mm. you know, or, but bring in mature trees. Yeah. Mm. And then that would do the equivalent decarbonisation or oxygen production as 400 litres of microalgae. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like think about That's that. mind-blowing, yeah. That, yeah. You know, like as if – Every city in the world shouldn't have like algae tanks. Yeah, like you want to decarbonize. Mm. Yeah, algae. Get that <laughs> happening with the craft brewing crit for anyone who wants to get started. Here's yeah. your mini little algae tank. Absolutely, and Albo, I know that you're listening. We should definitely get some sort of tax incentive for microbrewers to be yeah. installing algae tanks. Absolutely, absolutely, and then we can pull away every other tax so that they're running at the. Equal to the major brewers as well. We can talk about that. But that, that, that leads me to my next question. How are you on top of everything? How do you stay on top of all this? We, as we said at the start of the interview, you're still fighting for that tap in every pub. You're also reinventing agriculture on the side. Like, how, how are you staying on top of all this? <sighs> Sometimes I feel like my title is barely managing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we've, got, we've got an amazing team of people. Mm-hmm. The Young Henry's team is around 80 heads of, you know, bright-minded, mm-hmm. passionate, interesting people that all have things going on the side, side hustles, you know, like bands, families. Yeah. Like, you know, it's it's a pretty amazing group of people. And if you can get engaged and inspired, intelligent people mm-hmm. to all run towards a common goal together, mm-hmm. there's nothing that you can't achieve. Yep. And we also have a shareholder base that sort of believes in the brand equity of these weird ideas. Like mm. we've been funding this algae thing for five years. Yeah, that's not that is not showing any yeah you know financial return. Mm, no. However, you know this is going back to like that thing about what what is a brand? A brand is something that has to resonate with people. I don't think anyone is going to hear about the algae project and say I'm only drinking Young Henrys now. Yeah. But I reckon that there's a whole bunch of people that drink Young Henrys already that go, I'm going to keep drinking Young Henrys yeah. because they're doing something. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I think that if you, like, why do people think that we are somewhat aligned with the, you know, live music scene, yeah. for example? It's because we've been working with and actively a part of that conversation for yeah. 11 years. Yeah. We give a shit about it. Yeah. We actually act in mm-hmm. that space. So people can s- smell bullshit. Yeah. And I sort of think that with sustainability, it's the same thing. You've got to put action down before you before you talk about yeah. it. And all of that just leads up to being a beer company that people go, you know, I feel okay drinking that yeah. because they're doing something. For sure. You know, I don't think that's the reason that it jumps off the shelf over other people, but I do think that it's a reason for people to stick to it. Yeah. Well, I'm a big fan of the natural lager. Yeah, so first I'll beer be, ever. Yeah, I'll be making sure I, um, making sure I contribute to that algae day in day out. Uh, thank you for giving me all the excuses. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, that's it, right? Like, <laughs> eco warriors at the pub. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's not th- for me. This is for the world. <laughs> Thanks for joining us today, Oscar. It's a hell of a yarn, and um, yeah, all power to you. Good luck with the tank and. Um, 
Yeah, we know Albo, a little proud. This is a bipartisan decision that you all need to make. Give them a call. Come down for a beer. Algie up. Thank you, guys. Thanks, mate.